Welcome back to Killer Fun. I'm Christy. I'm Jackie. And we're so glad that you're here with us today. Upcoming, we have an interview with author Kent Spade. He contacted us and asked if we would uh, review his book and do a little interview with him. So we did. And um, that was, it was great. He's a real young author that, and it was just fun to talk to him. Yeah, he was really fun. And the book really dealt with some heavy issues. And um, it really, I don't know, it it took us a bit, you know, a bit of energy. Because like you said, it was shorter um, but it was a heavy read. Yeah, so. it was a fast read, but very yeah. dense, and I wouldn't call it light. No, not no. light. No. Not light. So, right. good stuff. Yeah, we'll get to that, but first, we have some other stuff that we want to talk to you about. So, Jackie, you went on a cruise. I went on a glorious cruise. <laughs> it was the best vacation. Oh, My husband so says great. this is the best vacation he's been on, and he even had a cold for like oh, four days of it. Wow. So, it was pretty phenomenal. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So the real question is, did you see any crime while you were on this cruise? Because we talked about cruise ship crime the last time. And I'm very curious. Did you find anything? Well, okay. So while I was there, I really didn't see anything. Oh, that's but, good. Um, that's good. We're, we have no complaints about that. That's right. Exactly. That was good. Um, I, I will say, though, when we got to Cozumel, because there's been a lot in the news, you probably know that there was some issues for safety mm-hmm. in the Cozumel region with some of the ferries and things cartel related. Um, when we got there, I I have to say it was not unnerving. But it was surprising. They had patrols with tanks, oh, good. Um, wow. with AK-47s wow. ready to go. Um, these these officers were diligently looking around. Um, and I have to say, they were so professional, and it made it feel very safe. Like, they were out in force, and they were going to protect it. And I thought, well done, because if you have to have a militarized area, I thought they really handled that with a lot of professionality. Oh, so um, so that was the only thing I kind of saw that way. However, so if you don't know, when you go on a cruise, there's always a Facebook for this. So if you book your cruise, you can join a Facebook group and then all of you all can chat. And so we were a part of that Facebook group. And so after we disembarked, I was looking at the Facebook group and there were some pictures and apparently a person was being taken off into a hearse. Oh. Um, So that was really sad. Um, however, two and a half hours earlier, somebody had posted about two guys being taken off in handcuffs. And so I thought, are these two things related? And then all of a sudden I'm thinking, there's a morgue. There has to be a morgue on this ship. Yeah, well, and if you if you follow us on the social media, you, you see found that there was a morgue. Yeah. They're all required to have it. Yeah. Yeah. Which, I mean, makes sense in retrospect, but at the time I yeah. would have not thought about it. But then I thought... They have to have a jail. They've got to. They have to have a jail. They've got they've got to have somewhere to detain people. Man, like now I'm I wish I kind of Yeah, now you're snooped around a little bit. <laughs> Can you I know? see your jail? You're here to make me happy. There's one of you for every four of us, and you know what would really make me happy is if I had a picture of me in the little jail. The detention center. Yes. Whatever that is. Whatever it looks like. Whatever that looks a like. Not a and then probably jail. would have like disappointed you and said, We just lock you in your cabin. <laughs> That's probably true. That's pro- if you have an inside cabin. Yeah. 
We had a balcony. Oh, oh it was beautiful. Oh, nice. I mean, just open seas. Oh. And and we went on Royal Caribbean. Uh-huh. They were amazing. And I have to say that we went on a Galveston on the Liberty of the Seas. Amazing boat. Um, but if you're in another area of the country, you have some of their newer boats. Um, they have the Allure and they have Oasis and some of the bigger boats. And their inside staterooms have a whole wall that's a digital screen oh. with a live feed of the ocean. What? So if you can't go to a balcony, room you still have the ocean in your and then room. you kind of have the opportunity to turn it off you can turn it off that's kind of the best of both worlds almost yeah. although i will almost. say that they did have an incident where a boat coming out of new jersey sailed into a storm that was projected to not be so bad but when uh-huh. they got into it it was a really nasty storm mm. they i mean these boats they can handle 80s foot seas like nobody's business but it's still had a pleasant experience and so apparently in the inside staterooms they turned off the live feed uh, because of the waves being yeah. so yeah. nasty it wasn't yeah. very comforting anymore <laughs> so um but yeah so um so i did find a little something yeah. I, don't, I don't know what happened well and and okay so I don't know what happened about that, but you did say you saw somebody in handcuffs? I did. I saw two uh-huh. people, well, being taken off the boat uh-huh. in handcuffs. You mentioned this to me, so a little confession I did. time. I did a little snooping. <gasps> so I wanted to know why somebody might be removed from a cruise ship in handcuffs. I love and it when you so snoop. I did a little snooping and someone on the internet in 2015, I don't know their name. I would give them credit if I could figure out how to find their name on this, but I can't. Um, so some random person on the internet who's on uh, cruisecritic.com where they had a discussion oh, board. Oh, I'm familiar with that okay. website. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. He said, in, in this case, it's usually a warrant for an arrest because Homeland Security goes through the manifest and then will ask the various law enforcement agencies who have a warrant out for somebody's arrest if they would like this person detained. So Interesting. Yes. So there's that. And then um, also, it's kind of like being at the airport. You shouldn't joke about uh, harming yourself or any other passengers. So there was an elderly man who joked that he was going to throw himself off and he oh. and his wife ended up locked in their room with security outside their door. And at the next port of call, they were forced to completely disembark the boat. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So, you know, don't joke about that. Kind don't of joke stuff. about that kind of stuff. So based on that, you went out of Galveston and there, there's a Galveston arrest record and based on the address of the port <gasps> and a, the day and about the approximate time that you would have been getting back. You're so good. <laughs> You're so good. Um, they had a number of probable controlled substances in their possession oh. and they possessed uh, brass knuckles, which they were not allowed to have. So somebody so, had too much fun. Yeah, or somebody was, they well, they probably had too much fun with the controlled substances. Mm-hmm. And because it was a, a fairly small amount. It was several, several different kinds. Oh. It didn't say what they were, but it had several counts of a controlled substance all under an ounce. Oh. So it wasn't like a ton. They had, they had some weed. 
or whatever. Like probably. you do. Well, like <laughs> like some kidding. people Just do. Just kidding. <laughs> like some people do, but I did based it on uh, the you know the address of the port and all that stuff. So so likely this is not a violent crime. No, probably except not. for the brass knuckles would say probably just bought to be cool. Yeah, or because <laughs> yeah, probably probably they. Bought. It was probably well, some vendor that was because there's all of these vendors in the ports and then they. They, they, you know, well, sell their wares. Yeah, and somebody bought it on vacation, and because they had a doobie in their room, smoked a joint on their balcony, and got caught, they... That's, yeah, yeah, that's a way to ruin your vacation right that there. That is a way to ruin your vacation. Mm, well, speaking of controlled substances, you know, one of my very favorite things is... Uh, stupid criminals. Oh, I love so stupid I, criminals. I have some stupid criminals. And the first one has to do with a controlled substance. Stupid criminals. So this was in March of 2016. Harris County, they put out a false report on their Facebook page that said, if you've recently purchased meth or heroin in Central Texas, please take it to the police or the sheriff department so it can be screened with a special device for Ebola. It has, <laughs> do not use it until it has been properly checked for possible Ebola contamination. Who fell for this? Chastity Hobson, 29, <laughs> marched her meth right on down to the... Sheriff's Department to have it checked. Her heart. Uh huh. I know. And I'm like, oh, I hate to laugh at you, but you know, when you walk into the Granite Shoals Police Department with your meth, they're probably going to arrest your behind. I mean, this is what they're going to do. I mean, kudos to the Harris County Department for being creative. Yes. I mean, okay, so we've talked a little bit. I've mentioned Bernie, my favorite movie yes. really right now. Yes. Uh, and Bernie is based on a live story and it's got Matthew McConaughey and Jack Black. You cannot go wrong. And may I mention Shirley MacLaine? Oh, fine. Over the top, right? It's yeah. amazing. But in this, Matthew McConaughey plays the sheriff and his big thing is he's going to catch criminals and so he has this wheel of misfortune oh and so he says i'm gonna spin it if your number comes up i'm coming for you and so he spins this wheel and he'll come after you and the best prank he ever pulled was he decided to get a bunch of these derelict dads who weren't paying child support and he said i figured they'd all be lured by the idea of a new truck so he did one of those hand on the body oh, uh-huh. things yeah. where you're supposed to keep one hand on the truck and whoever stays the longest and they sent personal invites out to all these people oh. they knew <laughs> and a bunch of these dads showed up and so right out for your wrist <laughs> so they got him they nabbed him right at the truck anyway oh. I thought well that is hilarious and it's based off a true story and I wonder if police departments do this they do. Apparently, they do. They do. They put inaccurate information out on Facebook and say, let's just see who's dumb enough to walk in the door. That's so delightful. Poor Miss Hobson. I feel bad, I, but I, hopefully she's recovered. Well, I hope hopefully so. I hope, that, I hope that was able to get her the help she needed. I hope so. To not be, you know, taking meth anymore. So we have another stupid criminal. These young gentlemen tried to break into a man's home in Carroll, Iowa, and they pulled, of course, the person called the police right away, and they pulled over a car matching the description just a few blocks away, not very long after, 
And they said they were stunned to see these gentlemen in their disguises because instead of using like a ski mask or some other way to obscure their face, you know, like a buff or 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 the pantyhose pantyhose. Yeah. They put, instead of putting pantyhose over their head to disguise their faces, they drew themselves with permanent marker. They didn't. (laughs) So when they pull them over, of course they still have permanent marker all over their face. They didn't use a Crayola. They used like a permanent marker. So they pull them over. They were super easy to identify. They had their faces painted. They didn't use face paint. They used a permanent marker. I'm like, they actually oh. achieved the very thing they were trying to avoid. Yes. Make themselves so, more recognizable. Yes. Exactly. Is there pictures here? Yes, there are pictures. Uh, which I doubt I will. We, are we going to share those? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Because look at that. Don't they look ridiculous? Oh, that's, that's so sad. Uh-huh. I know. It's just... I mean, it, it doesn't even do a good job. No. It's not like they were... They. Did, I mean... If you're going to draw on your face with Sharpie, like, do the, like, the bat symbol or something. Be creative. They just, like, oh, just they color scribbled. it. Yeah. Like, this guy kind of did, like, a mustache-ish and, like, a little goatee, but then... I think it was more, like, just, just I'm coloring so. all over. And then this other guy had, like... The fan of the opera mask. <laughs> well, and he had facial hair, so I don't know who he thought he was really going to be fooling because you can't color over the facial hair. Oh, I don't know. Wow. I'm sorry, kids. This is this is a poor choice. And then we have the nice gentleman in Athens, Georgia, Demetrius Robinson, who walked into a Golden Pantry grocery store and was waiting. He was there. It was late I guess in the evening and he was uh, waiting for the store to empty of customers and filled out a job application and put his real name and his uncle's real phone number oh my god (laughs) and then he robbed it and then he robbed it and he gave him a fake address but it was his uncle's real phone number and his real name so you know he was pretty easy to track down Oh, oh I'm sorry. Oh, Demetrius, this is a poor choice. That was a very bad choice. It was a poor I choice. It was multiple bad choices. Oh, really? I mean, stupid criminals aren't known for making good choices. That's true. <laughs> That's true. Wow. So, and the one that is most topical with our guest, Kent Spade, who wrote a novel, uh, Christian Bala was a... Polish author and he wrote a novel about someone's murder. He says, it's ridiculous what's going on here because the murder that he wrote about in his book was very, very similar to an unsolved murder that had happened three years prior. Oh no. Yeah. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. And it was a particularly uh, gruesome and specific type of murder. Yeah. So there there was like, there was like torture and there was a tourniquet tied in a specific way. It was very, it's sad and awful. I won't go into that. John Hancock all over that murder. Well, yes, it was just very specific. And so things that no one would have known except for the murderer 
about this particular specific crime was details in Christian Bala's book. Wow. Yeah. So he says, it's ridiculous what's going on here, that I should be in jail just because someone drew the wrong conclusion from an innocent work of fiction. I can defend every single sentence. Of course, the book is brutal, vulgar, the dirtiest I could write. But that's how art must be provocative. Just because I write a murder doesn't mean I did it in real life. So, yeah, the jury didn't agree. The police didn't agree. Uh, He was found guilty of coordinating the torture and semi-starvation and eventual murder of uh, his estranged wife's former lover. So he was connected to this victim. Yes. It wasn't just that he was a random author who happened to write something that matched some random unsolved murder. He was connected to the victim. Yeah, it's not like he read it in like in the newspaper and just wrote about what he read. He put specific things that he couldn't have known. Okay, so in the book, it was a woman who was murdered, and in real life, it was a man who was murdered. But it was very, very similar. Yeah, and he was connected, like yes. in real life, to the victim. Yes. Oh, yes, MG. he was. Which and he claimed he wasn't. It, it, this is it gets pretty interesting. I have to say, Darius Janizewski, 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 Polish. Okay, there's a lot of skis in this. Yeah, because uh, they're Polish. Was the victim, and the police it pulled this guy's body out of a river, mm-hmm. and it was tied up in this very specific way, and they didn't have any leads, and so they abandoned the investigation because they didn't have any leads whatsoever. And then a year or so went by, and they did a routine review of unsolved cases, which I was like, that's a great idea. I don't, I assume police departments must do this. I guess so. On a regular basis. It's not something I thought about. No, me either. But I was like, oh, that's good. I'm glad they did that. That's good. Then they realized that his mobile phone hadn't been recovered. And he'd had one. So they said, well, let's see if we can find this mobile phone. So, mm-hmm. You know, everybody's got them. Right. Let's, let's see if this guy's got one. So they uh, traced his SIM card and astonishingly found that it was being used by a businessman who had bought it on an auction site. Who needs to do that? Well, this was uh, this was kind of a while ago. It was okay. like in two thousand. I guess so. so okay, you All know right. he he bought it just three days after this man disappeared. Yeah, so he, right after Janiszewski's disappearance, the, his cell phone goes up for sale and gets sold on this online auction site. And who was the seller and of this phone? Yes, that's an that's an astute question. <laughs> Because it was it was sold by a user by the name of Chris B7, who in a very cursory search was able to be identified as Christian Bale. Bala, not Christian Bale, Christian Bala. <laughs> and that was in the book, the narrator re- referred to... Chris B, who was the murderer in the book, <laughs> who 
stabbed a woman and then sold the knife oh on the gosh. exact same auction website. Hashtag humble brag. Yeah, right? like well, a murderer's humble brag. This is what this is. Exactly. And so horrible. Yeah. So they they they've kind of got an idea of who it is, but they have to build this whole case. So it's like three years later when they're finally building this case. This guy publishes a book called Amok in... Amok. Amok. <laughs> like things are amok. Amok, yeah. <laughs> I, I assume it's the same... It's a similar word in Polish and in English. I suppose so. I, I think it's not all that different. Amok, adu. Yeah. Know. Yeah. So there were, you know, specific elements in this. A police officer read through the entire book found it extremely disturbing, especially knowing that this gentleman had been murdered this way. Bala denied having ever known the murder victim, said, I didn't do this. This is a work of fiction. And so they go through his computer files and, oh, yeah, they find a file with information all about Januszewski and a pen that had Januszewski's advertising firm logo on it. Oh, jeez. And a telephone card. I don't know exactly what this is. I think it's maybe from the early 2000s, and that's why I did I don't recall this. But he, they had a card, a telephone card, that showed it had been used on the day of Januszewski's disappearance to call the victim's mother and work and then also called Bala's family and friends. I mean. So he used, like, really? <sighs> Come on. And, of course, he was jealous because his estranged wife dated this guy. And, uh, you know. Well, I can, I can see what he was lacking in a desirable partner. Yes. It, well, you know. he was violent and mean, drunk. It's just it, all and over. And specifically heinous. And specifically specifically heinous. So he had he found out that um, Januszewski was dating his wife because he hired a private investigator oh. to follow her while they were still married but estranged. Oh, it was ugly and awful. So, um, you know, he wrote a book about it. So that's our intersection of crime and entertainment. They also have made a Polish movie about not the story of the book, but about... But about how this guy, this author, Bala, wrote the book based on his uh, the murder that he committed. Right, so it's a bit of a biography yeah. yes, of so this kind of murderer yes, slash author. Yes. And he, you know, Bala insisted on a retrial and they gave him one and still found him guilty. And he's still put away for... 25 years. Is it bad that I'm a little curious? Is the book good? Like, was he a uh, decent author? I don't think so. I think it was, I think it was not good. I think it was, um, it's pretty pornographic. Mm. Yeah. And, uh, very, very graphic. Yeah. Like a gruesome graphic, which, you know, I mean, it has to be the right context for me as much as I like 
crime and entertainment. Uh, yeah, there has to be a... It's, I, you know, I need a certain level of distance. Yeah, because our fascination, to clarify, is not with the heinous, gruesome nature of violence, but the mystery, the solving, the good guys going after bad guys. So, you know, if you search that, you have to kind of be okay with seeing a little bit of what's going on there, but you don't want to necessarily swim in it. Yeah, no, no, no. No, I really, I really don't. Yeah. And, you know, I'm not, I'm totally fine, like, listening to other podcasts that talk about some of this stuff and being okay with some of the gruesome, but I don't want to distill what is important to the story down into anything else. I want somebody else to do it for me right. a little bit. And maybe that's just me and my little bubble, but... Well, that makes sense. I mean, I think about these these officers and these detectives who have to... Oh, they have to know so much. Uh-huh. They have to just know so much. And then be able to sift through all of that to find mm-hmm. what's important for the investigation. Right. Like, yes. wow! Yes. Wow! Yeah. Like, it's... slow clap, because yeah. I can't... I may, maybe in an alternative life, I think I might have been okay at it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But boy, just the sacrifice that they're making to yeah. do that yeah. is huge. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It is. You wonder why they end up with a little PTSD. Oh, right. Yeah. How can you avoid that? No. I mean, you, there's post-traumatic stress all over that. Right. Oh. You know? Oh, it's so tough. Especially when you have to deal with children and or particularly heinous murders like... Oh, Bala here, this right. really Ugh. super, oh, what a sick SOB. Yeah. Right? Really? Right? I mean, oh, we don't typically use very strongly. No, here, we but, don't, oh. but that required it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's hard because you think, you know, because I'm going to school for psychology. Right. I, I definitely think about how, um, how these officers have to be trained to intervene in the crises of heinous acts and crimes, but also be able to determine if a person is mentally ill yeah. versus a person doing bad things. Uh-huh. Um, and how well, and they wrestle between the mental illness versus, like, just are they evil? Right. <sighs> yeah. And that's, you know, it's not, they're not mutually exclusive. You can no. be a mentally ill person who does awful things, or you can be a mentally ill person who is being compelled to do awful things. Right. You know, it's right. The fact there's a lot of different combinations there. And so I have a heart for those who, who don't see the world. Yeah. Healthy. Right. You know? And so they don't, they don't have the same resources to make good choices. Right. You know? And so I have a heart for that. Um, but, but on the other hand, sometimes you read these things and you're like, that's just wrong. There's no, yeah. Uh, you're mentally def- ill or not, that was poor choice. Right, and like there's really no excuse. somebody else paid for your choice. So mm-hmm. yeah, interesting Ooh, stuff. Yeah. Killer Fan is delighted to welcome Kent Spade, author to the show today. His first book, Red, White, Blue, and Colors, is out right now and touches on some charged and topical issues that definitely bridges the gap of crime and entertainment. It's a fast read, both engaging and exciting. Lots of action, but I wouldn't call it a light read. Welcome, Kent. Please tell us a little bit about yourself. Thank you guys for having me. Uh, I am Kent, and um, I'm actually still in college. Um, oh, awesome! Yeah. That's great. Yeah, I um, I've been writing for a while, 
probably for all my life. I've been writing um, poetry, short stories. This is actually my third attempt on a actual uh, longer novel. I wrote this story around 2016, December 2016. It was during my uh, finals week of my first semester freshman year, which was really interesting. It took me two weeks to come up with the story. We actually published this story earlier this year, so the publication process took us around like 13 months, which is okay. a very long time. But anyway, sorry, I digressed. <laughs> so I'm so in So you, wrote, you started writing this 13 months ago? You, or you started the publication process 13 months ago? Uh, I wrote the book in December 2016, and I was pretty okay. much done with it. And then okay. I didn't even think about publishing it until last summer, around like June 2017. So I kind of just wrote it for... Not just for fun. I wrote it for a big project uh, because I just okay. really care about the, the the story. But I I was actually trying to get it filmed rather than uh, publishing it. But like I was twenty years old, I didn't know that many people. So then uh-huh. it's, last summer, a thought just came up to me: What if I, you know, just uh, try to publish it and maybe gather some steam, and maybe we'll eventually get it filmed? Because the story in my head was images and movements. I did my best, you know, describing what was, uh, describing the story with words, but like it will right. be like better presented with cinematic uh, methods. Yeah, uh, Jackie and I both thought that. Yeah, because my husband's a filmmaker. Yes. So oh, actually, really? we've, yeah, we've kind of gone through this process. And so as I was reading it, I definitely noticed the uh, uh, scene structure yeah. um, and really just a di- directorial mind in the descriptions. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Very cool. Well, um, thank you again for coming on. Um, I'd like to get into some questions about like the uh, structure of the novel a little bit. Okay. Um, Your writings uh, vary to the point, but still descriptive. And it seemed like really the only color adjectives you used were uh, white, red, blue, and the color of a person's skin. And I thought this was effective in highlighting the racial tensions that are really specifically American and really specifically right now, which is why I was a little surprised to hear that you had this pretty much complete in December of 2016. It it seems even more recently topical than that. Was there anything else that this technique was meant to portray? Right. That is up to the readers to decide okay. for themselves. And the colors... Well, I just like to paint a picture in in, peop- in the reader's heads, you know, like I, mm-hmm. I am, my job is to present uh, the story. My job is not, never, to tell anyone what to think. Well, well, this is definitely an American story, but I think the same themes would apply anywhere else in this world. What I'm trying to touch on is the notions that we regard so so high, you know, like the yeah. banner of freedom of our flag, which I still uh, fervently believe in, can be yeah. used by some by some group of people in positions of power to abuse others. I think that's the point I'm trying to touch on, and to like challenge what other people tell us, what the authorities tell us, what the uh, media tells us, and that's universal in anywhere in this world. Well, great. Um, You used some really specific KKK language, a lot of it, which I had never heard before, despite 
living in the South. Did you have to do some research to get that? I was wondering how you're familiar with this. Was there somebody in your life who you knew who was familiar with this type of language? What kind of research did you do to be able to get that terminology correct? Right. I actually spent a lot of time growing up in rural Pennsylvania. And I've come across some some groups of people who um, have a little bit of I wouldn't say affiliation, a little bit of familiar, uh, f- familiarity with the uh, subculture. No, I wouldn't say subculture. I, the groups of, I want to say, ignorance and hatred in terms yeah, of that. And the, I could definitely say that that would maybe qualify as subculture. Oh, no, yeah, absolutely. I was I was always fascinated by what what are the factors that, you know, made these movements that are of hatred so so intriguing for a lot of people i just wanted to know why i wanted to break it down wanted to dig deep and understand how ideologies work and so in that case i actually talked to a lot of people who were uh when i was a kid even who were kind of uh really close to that um group and um, yeah. i found out a mm-hmm. lot about their thinking some people were actually really beaten down in their lives and they don't know what to do and some of them uh, I you know some of some are the most terrible people I've ever come across in my life but yeah. but anyhow I did have to do some research on my own in terms okay. of the terminology I wanted to be you know like um, authentic in a way and um, some of the uh, the stories I portrayed I've borrowed it from real stories uh, uh, not no, just that's in- heartbreaking yeah, uh, I wish they never had they never had transpired, and uh, right. some of the stories are not even like known to public. Yeah, okay. I really liked you. You had mentioned that you wrote poetry, and I actually really noticed that um, there was some. I thought it was really powerful, particularly on page eighty-one. Yeah. there was a part: uh, bar, dim neon lights, nasty air, leather jackets, catcalls, and on eighty-four, it was a little more hopeful. Items in the box, box in the trash, Carter's picture in her wallet takes us takes it out and kisses it. I thought those were particularly uh, impressive and powerful images that you did with poetry. Uh, were you using that to add a, a lyrical element or were you using the sparseness of the medium to indicate about a character's emotional state at the time? Oh my, I didn't even know I was trying to be poetic. I, I guess it just, you know, flew to the tip of my fingers. I just typed it down. Like that's, mm-hmm. those are the words that just came up to me. I, I didn't know it even sounded po- like poetic, but if you said it that way, like, I mean, like, I thank you, I really appreciate it, but sure. I, guess, I guess my um, my intentions were to paint a picture of what was happening and what she was doing to deal with, cope with the tragedy and um, that, that has happened to, to her loved one, her uh, her boyfriend, someone he she really loved. Right. Into, into doing something really uh, productive, into, like, you know, catching the bad guy or no, in this case, bad guys in this uh, story. Yeah. Okay, well, that was great. I just thought that was really very effective. Um, Now I'd like to move on to some questions specifically about the theme and the story. This is primarily set in the near future. I was wondering if you could give us a little insight into why you chose to be so specific with your allusions to current events, and were you worried at all that this might make the book seem 
dated or cause it to age poorly at any point. It's 2018 right now. People are still reading 1984. People are still reading George Orwell. So, so, so I'm not particularly worried about that. Like, okay. However, um, the date, I guess. I, I mean, I wrote it back in 2016. The uh, so, so in in that perspective, that like. The timeline of the story would have been a um, near future a scenario. I guess what I'm trying the point I'm trying to get at is despite d- despite the fact that many of us might think that we live in a very safe place, uh, many things can happen to us or around us, and some of the some of the issues, be they social or political or what have you, or economical or psychological, those issues. They're not only they're not only on the news. They might happen to and around each and one each and every one of us at any given time. Uh, I guess that's the point I'm trying to make. That even though this is this seems you know impossible and uh, you know the story of the book. I just I guess I'm trying to make uh, make people aware that um, that this can happen in real life and um, even though it shouldn't. Okay. Yes, I absolutely agree that it shouldn't. Yeah, and that's the, yeah. that's the thing about art, is we can show a description of the human condition mm-hmm. in hopes that the prescription is something better, you know? So, and, and speaking of that, like with the good and evil, um, characters are so rarely shown to be so nuanced. I thought I, I really appreciated that the characters were nuanced in your narrative. The Selena, the detective who falls in love with a drug dealer, you know, and Carter is a drug dealer who was an abused athlete. And then you have Sergeant Calhoun, who was just a disaster. And, um, but he was also a father mourning yeah. the loss of a child. And so you kind of see this good and evil going on there that it's never one linear kind of thing that makes a character something. So I love what you did there. So can you can you speak to how important it was to you to show that people are both good and evil? Yeah, absolutely. I think that um, what we've been conditioned to is by the uh, mass media or by the simplicity of the storylines of many popular movies is that there's two sides of the story, good guys and bad guys. But we never really ask, why are they good guys and why 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 are the other people bad guys? So, and uh, I've known a lot of people, I've come across a lot of people, like, in my life. I Some of the best people, like, I've known have, like, some of the most tragic flaws and some of the worst people, like, one like, one can think of might actually be in some aspects be be the sweetest person in some scenarios is so what i'm trying to get at is no one is ever just a flat uh character everyone is com- is complicated and uh, has his or her story and why he and she is the way they are right now and uh, i think it would be remiss of me if I didn't take that into consideration. I tried my best to paint each and every character in a very wholesome way to, to make them, you know, seem more, to, to be more human, you know, because like every bad guy has a uh, soft side or he or she might be doing this for a reason. I guess it's just my own understanding of the human nature that no one is 100% white or black or like 
uh, evil or good. That's just my point of view. That's awesome. We really, we really appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, because everybody is. Yeah. Everybody, right. everybody has two sides. Everybody's nobody's completely good or completely bad. And yeah, I it's mean, as much true. as we would like to label some people as completely bad sometimes that's because it benefits us to do that you know (laughs) but you know like in a traditional story arc you really only have room in a story traditionally speaking to develop a few characters right but um you know you like to understand that everyone has this kind of two-sided space and that some development of all the characters creates a more true-to-life representation yeah all right. Um, on page 44, uh, Calhoun is looking at a picture drawn by his son that states his dad is a good guy because he was a police officer catching bad guys and specifically black, brown and yellow bad guys. Was it important to you to convey that racism, racism is taught and not innate? I was I would think that, you know, any racist um, ideology by the slightest, they were um, a part of the social planning imposed on every one of us by a select group of people in power who, you know, would, who, who want to make things easier for themselves to manipulate the, the population in their, for their own gains. And um, oh, So you're thinking a little bigger than just, like, parents teaching their children. Yeah. I, okay. It, Actually, if I may, I would argue that the sheriff and including the villain, Sergeant Calhoun himself, they were brainwashed by a, um, by a, by a social planning project to teach them to be uh, racist. And they take that teaching into our own hands and transform that same teaching into violent deeds along with their um, partners of crime. Sorry, I, I went a little off the... <laughs> no, that's that's, that's totally okay. fine. That's totally fine. I was kind of troubled. You had the the refrain from the uh, particularly the police officers, but anybody who was related to the um, uh, alt right KKK sort of people, they kept saying uh, one down, X million to go. Um, that was you know something the antagonists said quite a lot. Um, yeah. Was this a creative license or was this something that you'd heard? Um, I kind of noticed that it it declined. It seemed like they were talking about like a variety of groups of people. They would say this many million to go and they were talking about a specific race of people. And that sort of seemed to be going down. Was that to indicate that there was that this is happening like nationwide and not just in this area or is that something that you found in your research or? Yeah. Well, again, like this story happens in an alternative timeline. That's not okay. necessarily ours. And, right. Um, I really hope that that this doesn't happen in real life at all. Uh, however, in that universe, when everyone is oblivious and um, well, just things that might be worse in the alternative universe. Um, yeah. Things can happen that way, and I guess the point I'm trying to make is the alternative universe could be ours. Uh-huh. Um, that's just the um, kind of thinking. That's a frightening to... thought. Yeah, but, but again, like I really hope it doesn't happen. Like it probably won't, but like I, I mean, it's always good to you know have a little bit of. Uh... That's just for me, though. <laughs> 
Yeah, well, oh, it's true. I mean, art has done this forever. The dystopian idea, I mean, well, if only I had thought of Hunger Games. Oh. I mean, good <laughs> lord. Right? But, you know, they weren't the first ones to do it. Like you mentioned, um, 1984, and then you have Brave New World. Um, a lot of these kind of books, they explore this dystopian idea because we're all trying to see what are the results of the decisions we're making now. Right. And then are those results going to be what we want them to be mm-hmm. down the road? I would say um, Seven, the, the oh, movie by... Um, I love Seven! Exactly. We have a box! We have a box! <laughs> I love... Yeah. So, like, that happens in New York City. Well, city, right? But, like, I don't... Any film, any uh, work of art is always happening in a slightly alternative universe as long as it's, like, creative, not, like, recordings. Do, do, do you get what I'm saying? Yes, it's not a documentary, it's a it's work of fiction that even if it seems to resemble what's currently happening in our political, economic, social climate, it's still a work of fiction. It's still a work of fiction, yeah. but it's maybe um, not stereotyped, but it's maybe inflamed, amplified a mm-hmm. bit to maybe make room for a picture that's not being shown in the common world, where right. it kind of gets glossed over. Well, I certainly hope so, because uh, I don't... I'm sure there's places in the country where it's... I'm living in a bubble, and I don't understand how bad it is other places, but I certainly hope that your novel is not an accurate depiction of a, a lot of people's experience in this world. I hope it's very few and very far between. Right. Because, I mean, I think you do a great job, Kent, of bringing out a, you know, dystopian idea, something to be aware of. But it is a troubling kind of book. And actually, right from the cover, when we look at the cover, we can kind of see this idea. And so the cover art depicts something that is almost hard to look at. Yeah. Um, And so tell us a little bit about how this cover art came about. The flag is the beacon of freedom. And I, I certainly believe that some people could be using the same notion of freedom, censor, and um, choke someone and really limits his or her freedom. Uh, Sometimes that kind of uh, chokehold can actually be fatal. And sometimes certain people in power might use the cover of the uh, banners of uh, freedom and hope to justify their personal agenda that's just horrendous to the well-being and lives of other people. That's, I guess that's the point I'm trying to make. It's very thought-provoking. And for our listeners, I'm going to describe it just a bit. I mean, I'm sure we're going to post the picture of this and and everything. But there is uh, a black and white image, uh, an illustration of this female with her amazing hair, but she's blindfolded and um, she's got a colorful American flag and the red and white stripes are choking her like a lynching. Mm -hmm. And so that's disturbing. And it really does. I think you described it very well, but um, just the perversion that people will take the icons of freedom and use it for evil. Yes. And that happens every day. And I want to say that like the evil I'm trying to describe that I want people to actively think about is also the evil within us. Sometimes, like, each and every one of us will be put in this uh, in, in the position of power. With that power, will we do the right thing, or do we carry out evil tendencies or evil thoughts onto others? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. 
Well, what's next for you, man? Yeah, so actually, we shot a trailer of this book of this story. We shot a very brief version of it. It's around two to three minutes long. We shot that film around two weeks ago. Now we're in the post production phase, and it should be up very soon. And then that should probably get us more um, more people to, to you know to know about the story. Maybe potentially, uh, I would definitely love to get this. Story filmed, you know, be the exact original version or you know slight you know change ups here and here and there. I'd be okay with. What else? I've been、um, working on my other projects as well, and besides, you know, just hanging out in the summer, out out on the grass, you know, under the sun. But that's、mm-hmm. another thing. It's a great thing, though. Yeah, absolutely. Not to be underestimated. Yeah, <laughs> you know the the、um, the ability to just hang out and chill, like it's. Actually, really important. Awesome. Would that be available on some social media? And do you have some social media you'd like to share with our listeners? Absolutely. So,、uh, my Twitter account, Twitter and Instagram is Ken Spade Speaks, all lowercase, no caps. The trailer will be available very, very soon on all social media outlets and YouTube. Well, we will see you there. Awesome, that's great. Well, we'll make sure that as soon as that's available, we retweet that for you so that people can see it and ha- check it out, and they can find your book. And we just really appreciate you coming and spending your time to speak with us today. And、Absolutely. thanks so much, Kent. Yeah. yeah, thanks so much. It's great to meet you, man. Thank you, Chrissy. Thank you guys、and、so、Jackie. much for having me. Well, we're so glad that you were here with us today. We sure had a good time, and we hope that you'll join us again next time.、Uh, don't forget that you can find us on social media: Killer Fun Podcast on Facebook, at Killer Fun Pod on Twitter. And if you want to email us, you are welcome to do that: Killer Fun Podcast at Gmail dot com. We'd love to hear from you. See you next time. Bye bye. Bye bye. Da da da.